This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Right On, showcasing the work and lives of Otago and Southland writers. Tune in for news and interviews with your local writers on the second Wednesday of every month from noon to one and repeated the following Sunday at 11am. The University Bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Oh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lovers Corner, the University Bookshop is evil. You have been warned. Good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to Otago Access Radio and right on with Vanda Simon, the show of the Otago Southland branch of the New Zealand Society of Authors and sponsored by the great team at the University Bookshop. Join me for the next hour as we get to delve into the wonderful world of books and books created by our local writers. Iona Winter is an Otipote Dunedin writer of Waitaha and Pakeha descent and she has a master's in creative writing and as well as being published internationally in literary journals has just released her third collection of work Gaps in the Light. Kia ora Iona and ora. welcome to the show. Now, when reading reviews and descriptions of your work, you were described a bit as a hybrid author. People didn't quite know, um, we like labels, <laughs> didn't quite mm. know where to place your work and that you bridged between that sort of like poetry and prose. How do you describe your work and where it fits in? Um, that's a hard question because I I do find it quite hard to pigeonhole myself Um I think my writing process is quite an intuitive one. So, you know, what might start out as a poem could potentially morph into a short story or a piece of flash fiction. So, uh, and I th- I've been told that I write in a way that's quite poetic, even my, my short stories. So, um, I think hybrid's probably the easiest word for people to understand, if that is even understandable. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I think it is quite hard to to narrow down what it is that I do, um, particularly because everything I write is is written to be read aloud, so I'm, you know, to be performed, so I don't necessarily say this is a piece of poetry or this is a piece of fiction or... I think there's a lot of autobiographical stuff that pops up in my work as well, so... Maybe the hybrid word fits. <laughs> <laughs> and that would actually also explain why um, the person commented that your work, uh, even your prose, sounds poetic if, in your mind, you're, you're reading it aloud. It's, yeah. it's going out to an audience. Yeah. So what do you see as you know, the strengths of working in these shorter forms of writing? Mm. I th- for me, it's something I've become quite proficient in is, is writing short form. And uh, maybe it's because I also write poetry. I'm able to put a lot of meaning layered into these shorter works so that, well, my hope is that people would be able to read and reread something rather than it being a one-off, quick fix kind of a read to read it and then maybe come back to it or have something in there that's stuck with them that they want to go back and read again and try and make sense of, or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that is a strength of the short form is that you know, people feel like, oh, I, I can go to, back to that. It's a nice little finite amount. Mm. 
yeah, and I think also with with oh, the strengths of it is probably you know the world that we live in is so fast paced, and I think with writing shorter form it means that someone could sit and read a story in quite a short space of time and be fully absorbed in it and fully present with it before they move on to something else in their day so I like that about short form work it's you know it's kind of something you can have in your in your bag Mm. as well and it's not intimidating, is it? When, no. when you when you look at it, and I, I look at a novel, and if it's like three inches thick on the spine, I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a tome. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, so you think that then that um, you know short form writing is more accessible? I think it is. Yeah. And and you sort of alluded to it just slightly before, but when you are in your writing process and you're you're, you're sitting down to do something and you're exploring an idea or an emotion, how do you decide what form it is going to take on the page when, when you have all these different ways of writing? Mm. Sometimes it'll, sometimes things will come fully formed for me and I'll know that it's a poem. And sometimes, you know, it might, often I get a lot of dialogue that kind of comes to me or, or a lot of uh, observation of nature sometimes that'll fit into a poem quite nicely and sometimes it's better off in a a shorter form um, prose piece Um, yeah I've had quite a few pieces actually in this collection that started out in in one form and then shifted into another form because the 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 rhythm and the pace maybe wasn't right when I was reading them aloud or it needed more or it needed less so I I guess it's quite a fluid thing for me and and uh, sometimes I will work and work and work and work on something. I mean, some of these pieces I've been working on for years before they actually um, became completed. Yeah. Which is quite astonishing when you think, you know, they are short pieces. Mm. And, and the listeners out there are probably thinking, you can work for years on something that is a page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you want it to sound the best that it can. And to to work on the page well, like I'm quite interested in how things look on a page too. So that's part of the creative process that makes it quite complicated then for mm. you too then if you know you're always thinking of a mind I'm going to perform this sometime it's mm. going to be spoken aloud to an audience but also you know the form on the page that's mm-hmm. quite a lot to marry in one piece of work it is and I think maybe that's a, a misconception when people you know when you say you write short form or you write poetry people think oh you can bang 20 of those out in a, in a year you know why haven't you got more books but it very much as a process of refining, yeah. Do you find you actually have to stop yourself at some point or will you just <laughs> pick something to death? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And sometimes, you know, pieces will just sit sit on the my slush pile for a while. And, I'm, you know, I, I often will revisit things, um, will revisit notebooks and, you know, I might have written a, a, a short story which is 10 pages and there might just be a paragraph in there that I think, oh, yeah, that's really good. I'll do something with that. So maybe that's another way to explain this hybrid notion of being a writer for me is, yeah, I will pick, I will pick things apart sometimes too and mix things up. <laughs> Now, I loved this collection, and I know, well, as you said before, I will dip back into it again and again. You you sort of feel that when you read some collections. Um, It elicited so many emotions in me, and I love that you do tackle 
difficult, often unspoken topics. You know, how important is it for you to give a voice to the things that, you know, we might not speak of in what we call so-called polite company? Mm. It's really important to me. Um, my whole life really has been about naming stuff um, in different ways. And I see <clears throat> that I see the writing process. I, I don't consciously go into it thinking I'm going to talk about, I don't know, sexual violence today. It just comes and then um, I'm quite mindful, I think, about how I put that across. Um, it's, it, it's important to me to do, to do my work, I think, in a way that's, that maybe gets the readers to think without it being slammed in their faces, without it being another assault. I, I think for me it's, it's important to, to write things in a way that people are, are able to engage with that's perhaps less threatening, I think. Yeah. Because I know as a reader, um, the way you did that made me engage in it using my own past experiences. Mm. So, um, and that was great because, you know, it challenged me as a reader. So, and do you think it should poetry and prose, is it, is it it's one of its jobs, if it has a job, to challenge both the writer and the reader? I think, I think so. I, I think particularly in the world that we're in now, um, so much is spoken of, uh, yet finding ways to engage with that can be quite quite difficult, um, particularly if you're having some trouble yourself. You know, we all know how hard it is to, to get the help that you need at a certain time if you're in a crisis situation. Yeah, so I think, I think the reason I write the way I do is so that I can articulate things that maybe other people can't. Yeah. Now, and I had a number of uh, aha <laughs> moments when um, I was reading this. You know, for example, um, I'm going to read a little passage from Gregorian um, where it says, I doubt you will ever have a sense of life as it is for the minorities. And then, who are really the majorities if you look at the world's pyramid charts on the distribution of wealth? And I was like, well, of course, I had never even thought of it in that way. So how important is it for you to give a perspective that other people may not have experienced and give them that sense of what it is for someone else? Really important. <laughs> um, again, my whole life I've been this, um, I don't know, I have a very strong sense of justice uh, personally, professionally in the world and um I think it's really easy for people to stand in a place of judgment around something they've never experienced, that they've never engaged with. You know, when you talk about poverty, for example, we, we do have this rhetoric that goes around about, well, they just need to go out and get a bloody job or whatever. But the reality is many people can't for a variety of reasons, which are often invisible. And the only thing that might, might be visible is that they're impoverished. Um yeah, and I've I personally have had a lot of hard stuff happen in my life, and it's felt important to name that too. Uh, again, in a way that's not uh, slamming somebody in the face, but to say, "Hey, have you thought about the world's pyramid charts on the distribution mm. of wealth?" Yeah, and and I love that the work does so in such a like a, a, a succinct way. It's not you no know, rehammering, rehammering, rehammering. It's just like dropping this 
amazing sentence that just sums it up <laughs> and then putting it in that broader context. So that um, I see as one of the strengths of the, the, the short form mm. as well. Thank you. And one of the things I did love about your work and um, even you know, chatting with you is that it's infused with te reo, uh, and the way that the reo captures emotions and concepts in a way that English often can't. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you use that w- w- within your work? Do you use that to, to get these feelings out there, ideas? Often the, the, the real will, will come, you know, just in the, in the writing process. Uh, and there are times when, um, when I'm reading it through aloud where I'll think, actually, that, that concept or that emotion is, is better with using some tereo because tereo often encapsulates so much more than, than the kupu on its own. Mm. Um, there's something about the use of tereo, I think for me, which connects me to something much bigger than than me, than us, than here. Uh, it, it's sort of a, without sounding too flaky, there's a there's a there's a, a an interconnected multiverse that happens for me when I use tereo. Mm. Yeah, and as someone um, who is not a tereo speaker. But it's kind of you know it's infused within New Zealand because mm. um, it was in context, and you know I didn't actually need to know the exact meaning of that word to know what it was trying to imbue. So that that was part mm. of the, the the beauty of it too. Thank you. I, I have had that feedback before yeah. mm, <laughs> that that the way it's 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 part of the work gives it another context but you don't necessarily have to flip to the glossary at the back to find out what the what the kupu is yeah, mm. yeah. And, and you know that okay this is trying to embrace something bigger than what I'm traditionally used to thinking of mm. in that now um Papatunuku is mother earth and is a constant presence throughout the collection um you know that connection and the spirituality so how does Papatunuku ground you Oh, <laughs> in a myriad of ways. <laughs> but I am someone who probably all of my life has been deeply connected to Papatunuku and, and to our environment and observing that in ways. You know, I'll, I'll often say to people, uh, say if there's been an earthquake, I'll say, well, there's Papatunuku, she's flexing, you know, like she's a bit over what we've been doing. We've, I mean, I think there's a line in one of my poems, actually, in this collection about, you know, we've we've treated Papa Tuanuku like shit for eons and now she's getting her own back. It's yeah. like, actually, yeah, I, I've, I've always felt very strongly connected to the earth and I'm someone who will have my bare feet on most of the year, even in the middle of winter, yeah. and just something about standing on the whenua and just taking a breath and looking around, you know, I think in this the modern world that we're in, we don't do enough of that stuff. Mm. Um, what do they call it? Do they call it grounding? Or there's some new yes. term that's come out for something that's a very old concept. Earthing, earthing, yes, yes. And I, I love that. Um, and you portrayed so well in in one of your um, stories that you know, it 
it is not every generation that feels that. You know, mm. the, in, in one you have the the grandmother and the daughter, but, mm. and the, the granddaughter, but the, the 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 daughter in the middle has a slightly different yeah. perspective. So. Yeah, and that that's been my experience in my Fano, you know, um, connection versus disconnection. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and what we throw up for it. Mm. Now the collection um, you know, conveys moments of joy and anger. I did enjoy the anger ones actually, and I was wondering, is that just woman of our age? Who <laughs> 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 just had enough, <laughs> or not? Um, but of course, you know, intense, intense loss. Hmm. Um, so, how has writing helped you? you know, you've said that a, a lot of them there is autobiographical for you. How has writing helped you process loss? And can it? Has it? Yeah. I mean, I think it has. Um, you know that writing your way through something that's difficult is quite helpful. And I think it, you know, I, I was a psychotherapist for 25 years. And, you know, I think there's a lot of power in speaking things and in having someone witness something. Um, but, But for me taking that a step further to write about it is, is another way. I mean, I suppose it could be seen as cathartic or reparative um, to articulate something which is so deeply lodged in me. Um, it, it's helped immensely. And, you know, I, I've, I've still kept writing despite... Reuben, my son, dying last year from suicide. I've still kept writing. I haven't finished anything, but, but I'm still <laughs> writing. You know, every day I'll be yeah. making some kind of a note on something. Something will come to me, and I, f- I find that a balm to mm. be able to do that um, without critiquing it too much, just to trust what comes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at this point, it's just getting it somehow. On yeah. the page. Yeah. 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 And then you'll have that slush pile again. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to the day when I can just be with that slush pile and magic something out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, how does it feel for you to have your work, which, you know, expresses um, your history, your pain, and your vulnerability, published and put out there to, to a wider world? Um. It feels good. Uh, it's it's bittersweet in that, um, you know, I finished the manuscript for this the morning that Reuben died, and mm. and I hadn't known that he was he, he was dead until the afternoon. So, it, it's bittersweet, you know. Um, it, there, there's a lot in this about suicide because we've had a lot of suicide in our Fano over the last few years, and, um, I mean, <laughs> any kind of writing. It is exposing, isn't it? Even if you're writing fiction, I think it's just exposing, and it's 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 our creative process that's out in the world for people to judge, which they do. <laughs> Bless them, <laughs> be that positive or negative or somewhere yeah. in between. Um, I, I think I had to get over myself a few years ago, and you know, just say, "This is good. Just send it, send it out, see what happens." Um, and it's the same with performing. Mm. Um, because it's is, is, is it a different feeling of um, exposure in the performing space, which is very immediate. They're there in front of you. You can gauge your reaction to the, oh, knowing this written word is they're reading it in their homes or, or yeah. wherever. 
I, I ha- it's, it's an interesting question. I haven't really differentiated between the two. Oh, sorry um, for putting that one on no, you. No, <laughs> it's it's fine. It's it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think I am vulnerable. We are all vulnerable as human beings, whether we show it or not. And uh, I think there's some strength in me, but also for others and being able to put myself out there and if it resonates with someone then I think cool that's my job done mm. you know and it's a, if it's just one person I've done my job yeah and then I was a reader um you um you, you see someone else's vulnerability and and you feel like oh actually no I can re- I can relate to that um mm. it's a it's okay to feel like that I'll own that little angry streak. Mm, yes. <laughs> Do you notice some theme here for me? <laughs> well, there's a lot to be angry about mm. in the world too. Mm. And, you know, I think anger is something that's misconstrued as a negative, but there's, man, there's a lot of power in feeling angry yeah. and just being able to articulate it or sit with it or channel it in a way that creates something. We're all very poor at articulating it, aren't mm-hmm. we? Yeah. <laughs> We are. Now, um, I asked if you'd be happy to give a wee reading from your work. So mm-hmm. would, is there something you'd like to yeah, share? Yeah, I'll, I'll read um, the Toikupu, the, the poem um, Natives, which was a project that happened during lockdown um, through City of Literature. Um, so I'll just read it rather than give you any. <clears throat> I prefer to choose aroha. I prefer to walk barefoot, so I miss nothing that Papatuanuku has to say to me. I prefer the colours of sunset. I prefer birdsong and children's laughter to that of leaf blowers. I prefer the essence of kindness. I prefer the sounds of takaroa stroking the shore. I prefer freedom to oppression and honesty to half-baked truths. I prefer to write when it is time, rather than in regulated time slots. I prefer unquestioned respect of te autudor. I prefer living simply to consumerism. I prefer the touch of manu wings on my face to the back of a hand. I prefer thick, sheltering forests to wide open plains. I prefer my ringa-ringa in another's to a self-imposed hermitage. I prefer natives to introduced species. I prefer quiet authenticity. I prefer meaningful connection to systemic avoidance. I prefer autumn, safe in the knowledge that everything has a life cycle. I prefer to expose the greying strands of my hair. I prefer kōrero in person as opposed to communicating via the internet. I prefer to sing aloud in the car. I don't prefer silent, unspoken things. I prefer non-martyred compromise. I prefer to tend my wounds before creating them for another. I prefer compassion to witch hunts. I prefer to believe in the possibility of something beautiful rather than fear the inevitable pain of loss. I prefer to choose aroha. 
Thank you, Iona. Now, Gaps in the Light is being launched at the Blueskin Bay Library this Friday, the 14th of May. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. So all the very best with the collection, which I absolutely loved. And like I said, I'll be dipping in and out because you know, it moved me, it challenged me, shocked me a few times too, which was nice. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on today and um, talking about your work. Kia ora, Vanda. Thank you. If this program has raised issues and made you worry about your or someone else's mental health, here are some ways to get help. The best person to talk to is your GP or local mental health provider. However, if you or someone else is in danger or endangering others, call 111. If you need to talk to someone, the following free helplines operate 24-7. 1737 Need to Talk? Call or text 1737. Lifeline 0800 543 354. Youthline 0800 or text 234 between 8am or midnight.
The university bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Oh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lovers Corner, the university bookshop is evil. You have been warned. Welcome back. You're listening to Otago Access Radio and right on with Vanda Simon. The show of the Otago Southland branch of the New Zealand Society of Authors and sponsored by that fabulous team at the University Bookshop. Athel Parks is a Dunedin-based writer and also the founder of City Walks, guiding walks that showcase Dunedin's history, its architecture and its urban renewal. Now he's just recently released Alert Level 4. Athel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vanda. Thanks for having me here. Now, it's amazing to think that it is a year ago, essentially, that, um, or longer than a year, that um, Alert Level 4 was over, and that it was such a strange and challenging time for everyone. So what prompted you to write a book about these experiences? Gosh, well, it, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't predetermined. It, it really... Um, the, I, I entered lockdown with the same apprehensions that uh, everyone else had and um, I guess the extra concern um, regarding you know the prospects for my business you know I'm a tour mm-hmm. guide so yeah it was it was pretty scary and that first day I went for a walk as I'm want to do and it was actually surprisingly uplifting and I went home home as, as Mosgiel and I went home and I wrote about that and I often write my thoughts out and and then a bit later on in the day, I went for a bike ride, and I think it was then that I resolved to actually write something every day. And at that point, I wasn't sure whether it might be a blog or, or, or perhaps a book. I'd, I'd never written a well, ne- never completed a book, never written a blog. And I looked at that briefly, but actually the thought didn't – it just didn't really appeal to me. I I felt it was important to have some kind of physical memento, uh, you know, memento, and um, – some, I don't know, some something to hold on to because everything was a bit uh, surreal and insubstantial, and you know I, I value physical things, you know, real things. I, I, um, so pretty soon I thought, okay, it's going to be a book, and so the idea was one, one story or article or vignette for it for each day, and. The ideas just just flowed really. I mean, there was so much going on. There was plenty to write about. Um, so, did you find yourself, um, you know, if you'd uh, resolved in your mind that you're going to write a wee bit each day, that you were thinking one day to think, oh, what am I going to write about tomorrow? Or was it more sort of more flowy than that, uh, well, inspired by the events of each day? Well, generally speaking, things flowed. But but so there were there were some days when um, you know I was really in the groove, and I wrote two or three stories. And there were there were a couple of days. Where I got busy with other things, or yeah, the stories didn't didn't come easily. So, but you know, I banked a few. So, so it's a bit of a spoiler. But some of these <laughs> some of these stories were, were were written a few days in advance. You know, it's a journalist's trick. Uh, yeah. And and you so you, you had early on this idea that you wanted a physical object. So when you first started writing, because um, I'm always curious particularly with nice little shorter vignettes. You know, was this a handwritten thing that you had into journals or was this mm. into a computer? You know, when you were thinking about mm. a physical object, was it from the outset from what you were doing on the day-to-day? Or? 
Well, um, it wasn't really um, shaped by... It wasn't shaped by the vision. I, I just wrote the way I normally write, which is ideas come to me or I, I sit down to develop something and I'll typically just scribble it down on, on a piece of paper. And in the case of these stories, I, I basically drafted um, the stories on, you know, on, on paper. And some of the stories arrived almost perfectly formed. Um, others took a lot more work but essentially I, I, I sort of knocked off um, a story a day and then spent about nine months polishing them. <laughs> and very story because you know, they, they are nice little short vignettes but you know were they were they part of a larger piece of writing for that day and you then sort of like screwed them down or, or no. were you mindful this is the kind of length I'm working on each time? Yeah it's funny uh, again it wasn't really a conscious thing but it but it just it just um Yeah, I, I guess I wasn't setting out to write uh, a novel each day and tried to keep it simple and there were usually one or two key ideas or, um, you know, you know, the odd epiphany even that, that I wanted to express. And um, there, were, there were a couple of stories, actually the ones that are more political or, or deal with, um, you know, the economy, for example, where my drafts were a bit longer, <laughs> but I decided probably wisely that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I didn't want to overdo that because um, already some of the some of the stories are a little bit preachy. I, I try to I try to maintain light, a light touch with most of them. There's a lot of humour in there, but a lot of the stuff is very heartfelt, and there's some really serious stuff in there, and I address that. But yeah, I could have said a bit more about my political views or, or my thoughts about the economy, but I. I haven't, and, and that's probably a good thing. The, the inner editor <laughs> stepped in <laughs> all those years of experience of an editorship. Also, also there was one, there was one story in, in, the, in the collection. There's, there's one story which is pretty out there. It's um, the Great Explorers, and it's 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 a kind of a uh, a homage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's yeah. I guess it's well, <laughs> it both it both respects, but but makes fun of the, that whole tradition of sort of, you know, epic sort of polar um, exploration literature and so on. So I was having a bit of fun with that. It happened to be a cold day, so that's what prompted that one. Um, it was about the only cold day during the lockdown. But um, there was one other story which started off kind of normal, and then about halfway through I, I drifted off on this sort of uh, stream of consciousness thing. And that's actually what happened on the walk because many of these things are almost verbatim what happened as I walked around my neighbourhood. But was this particular one – well, it was, it was verbatim in terms of what was happening in my head. You know, the events um, that actually occurred are recorded on the page. But then I walked for another 10 minutes and had all these sort of funny ideas, and I wrote them down. But then I thought, no, I can't put that in there. <laughs> a little bit of self-editorship and sensing. Now, it was fascinating reading your entries because um, it was a nice being reminded of just some of those key events that happened, but also just some of the reflections. Um, so now how did that process of keeping a journal help you personally process the restrictions and the challenges of lockdown life? Well, it was absolutely critical, actually. So I, I, you know, I don't think I mentioned before that um, it, you know, um, 
Because it had quite an effect on your business, didn't it? Well, well yeah, it did. So, yeah, the most, f- f- yeah, so the, the key thing is I began writing because I needed to. I needed to process what was happening. It was, it was full on. So that was an essential need I had. Um, and, and, and just to sort of ground, ground myself, you know, um, est- establish some routine, you know. Um, and, but, 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 but early on I, I did, I did foresee that there was an opportunity there for me because, well, writing was about all I had and, and thankfully I can write and I thought, well, this is my lifeboat or, or um, my bridge out of here, you know, um, or to some, not necessarily a completely new life, but um, maybe a parallel uh, reality. Yeah, because, um, yeah, the prospect for, for guiding didn't look particularly bright then. have to say, I should, no, I should point out that, that I'm still offering walks and actually business is, is going okay. Um, the fact that I'm a, a small operator, I don't have any overheads to speak of, and you know, I'm really thankful for that, and I can just um, tickle along quietly, and um, you know, at the moment, you know, I'm hanging in there. So you could you could see that, you know, that you're, the writing kept you grounded, especially with all the worries about, okay, how are you going to bring dollars in, mm. but, and also from reading it, it was important that the cycling and the walking was all part of it, and and you know, some of it was just beautifully prosaic. I mean, I love just the way you, you know dealing with chooks and <laughs> yes. trees and yep. and just being hands on. How did that help? Yeah. yeah, that's really important. I mean, it's it's always been important to me. But um, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking and worrying about all sorts of other extraneous stuff. But actually, those are the things that matter. You know. So um, yeah, I hope that comes through. And um, it's funny if you. <laughs> I hope we don't get any stalkers, but if you go along Glaston Road, you know, our house is the one, you know, it's it's the very poor looking house with the, with the sort of wild, abundant garden, and we just love it, you know, and, um, you know, we love the chooks, um, you know, I think that comes through. Um, so these things are really important. Um, I think we, we all need to be more grounded and connected with with each other and and the planet and, you know, meaningful work. You know, physical activity, all that stuff, it's really, really, really important. Mm. Now, and for many of us who, you know, weren't essential workers, and I'd like, you know, to acknowledge that our essential workers and yes. a huge shout out to those who you know, have <laughs> yes. to go in all the time. But for some of us, lockdown was in a way an opportunity just to actually step back from mm. that busyness, that, that rat wheel that we get stuck on all the time of daily life. So, um, did it afford you time to, you know, reflect on what was priorities for you? Yes, yes, it did. Um, I mean, in terms of of, of, of the book, I realised that this it was now or never for me. I've been wanting to write or complete a book for thirty years, and I've I've got boxes of material in my room, and I've just never finished anything for a whole bunch of reasons. And but one is is the very practical reason that you know um, time is limited, and there are other things going on. I, I know that can become an excuse not, not to get on with something. So I thought, okay, I have no excuses. I have no distractions. This is it. Um, sorry, Van, no, I got sidetracked there. I can't remember what your, <laughs> what your no, question well, was. Well, you know, it's just about the, the, your personal reflection on what was important in your life oh. for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I think, uh, uh, gosh, you know, the amazing thing about that, that experience was that the, basically the whole planet was, um, we were all kind of in lockdown effectively. And many people did take a step back and I look I know I know it was a tough experience for a lot of people and, and a horrible experience for some but 
many people did did take the opportunity to reflect and and you sort of step back and act, if you look at some of these things that that we we do you know um you know uh sorry I'm getting, like you know poisoning the earth you know constantly well is that such a good idea? Because mm. you have a whole um, <laughs> whole entry on you know locking in the gains, yeah. and you know where you state you know what will life be beyond level four, and you say it'll be different, that's for sure. But yeah. um, now a year later, yes, looking at out the window and how busy and everything it is, um, do you think people have actually changed and embraced mm. those gains? Oh gosh, it's an interesting one because in, in a respect, see, I'm still like well, living with it. I'm still living with this, you know, and so. Yeah, it feels we're working through it, and and you can kind of sense some some light on the horizon in, in some respects. But actually, you know, um, things are pretty grim in, in many parts of the planet, and things could easily go pear shaped again. I believe. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the future will hold. Um, and certainly, when I started out, you know, writing this book, um, yeah, I mean, gosh, um, any number of possibilities were out there. Um, <sighs> Here it's like life has returned to normal for a lot of people, and uh, it's not all bad, you know. Um, but oh gosh, um, we've, we've forgotten some things, you know. I, you know, you know. There's, there's a story there. I talk about how um, you know oil production kind of stopped there for a while, and and the price of oil was actually in the negatives. They were actually paying people to to take it away. And I thought, wow, you know, if we could just, you know, I, I didn't expect that, you know, we'd make wholesale, you know, um, change. But I hoped that we might kind of step back a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, hopefully we, we, we've preserved some of those gains, Vanda. I, I really don't know. Um, I think we're a bit complacent here. Mm. We've been a bit lucky. And, and we've done some good work. But... Um, you know, we 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 ought we oughtn't we ought not be complacent because you know I, I think sadly I think COVID is probably the dress rehearsal for 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 um you know the climate change crisis sadly um but anyway I, I won't I, I won't I won't <laughs> I won't get carried away and and I remain positive and hopeful about life by the way I'm not I'm not I don't believe um. I'm uh, overly pessimistic at all. And some of the gains that came through that you're talking about, you know, is that wonderful extended time we had with our families um, and that opportunity just to have breathing space and time. Um, how, how was, you know, for, for your family, is that something you've tried to strive to continue on as much as possible? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, again, people's experiences are different. I know it was a profoundly unhappy time for some people, but. But yeah, my wife and daughter and I were, were cooped up at home, and we actually it was it was a very special experience, and it was something that we all shared. And um, you know, with the, with the teenager in the house, you know, <laughs> we, we, we 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 seemed to share less and less. But it was there were there were very special moments and and um, poignant moments, and 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 very happy. Um, Happy, happy moments and um, some, yeah, lots of humour. So, um, so, you know, the the book. Um, so it's dedicated to my daughter. And I can see, you know, I, we can we can see how important this 
this whole putting this down, having that family time and dedicating that to her was. And I love the little the little glimpses we get of her just popping through in the book, as you say, a teenager. <laughs> so that whole um, no family element of it was clearly important for you and yes. having a, a physical reminder of that. Yes, so, you know, some of these books will, 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 will outlast me and... Um so, yeah, I'd like others to, you know, I'd like to think there's, there's something in here for, for everyone, you know, and um, it can trigger off their own memories or prompt them to think. Um, and, yeah, perhaps, yeah, perhaps my daughter will think, uh, Dad, Dad was a <laughs> pretty cool guy after all, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, now, so, I'm not so bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the, the actual book itself because, you yeah. know, you had these um, these words yes. that you had on a page and it's quite a step from taking a, a pile of loose-leaf pages or entries in a computer yes. and turning them into an object. And it, it is a beautiful object. I mean, I was, okay. I was patting the nice hardcover before. Mm. So... Um, who did you approach? How did you go about yes. that, that entirely practical thing of yeah. making a physical book? Well, it's a good question, and and it was it was challenging, but really interesting because you know I hadn't done that before, and you know I decided early on that I that I had to self publish the book, and and there were a couple of reasons for that. Um, I guess I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to my writing. I felt I had the skill set. You know, I can write, I can edit, I I have. Um, you know, I have a sense for design, and, and you know, I've done some some promotional work but also I felt you know publishers probably would not take this on um, I'm an unpublished writer you know it's a catch-22 it's like well I, I didn't think I thought I could expend an awful lot of energy here and get nowhere um, so I thought okay the only way well firstly I want to make something that I'm satisfied with so it had to be a beautiful well-made um, tactile book that would last and I also felt well look um the only way I'm going to um, gain the attention of, of, of publishers is, is by presenting something great. And so some cost and effort was involved, but it was, it was well worth it. But in terms of producing the book, it was, it was kind of interesting. So um, I went to see David Steadman. So David um, has uh, Duty Bound down on the corner of Crawford and Jetty Street. And I'd, I'd met David a few years prior through, through my walks, you know, because one, one of the walks I do um, – it's all about the redevelopment of the warehouse precinct. So I, I knew a bit about what David did, and I really wanted to work with him one day. And so I went in there, and David helped me visualize the project or the book, if you like. But it was really funny because there came a point where I thought, okay, I'm, I'm committed. We'll do this. And I went in there, and I said, Dave, you know, let's, you know, let's do it. And, he, and he, he sort of nodded and smiled, and he said, okay, um, well, you you'll need someone to design the book and you'll need someone to print the book. And that really took the wind out of my sails because I naively assumed that David would do everything. <laughs> so, so then enter Graham McKinstry um, of MCK Design and he, he, he really designed the book. Uh, we, we worked closely together on that, but he, he immediately settled on, on the typeface that, that we've used and I think it's beautiful um, and he talks about that and on, the, on the imprint page. Um, and he helped me realise the, the, the jacket. Mm. So it's I, so striking, that colour. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think it is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, um, I think. Um, the, 
the idea really came to me when I was out biking again. <laughs> the good old cycle yeah, rides. And, and uh, there may be a subconscious debt um, to um, Makan and Hauteri, perhaps, with the lettering there, but it was subconscious. Um, the only problem, and it's not a problem, with the, with the jacket is it conceals David's beautiful cover. Mm. And so, you know, there are, some of these books will be in the, in the public library, which is great, but I'm imagining that they'll be sealed and people won't see the... The, the hardcover, and I'm not encouraging them to <laughs> peel off, peel off the jacket, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah, it was interesting to see it to come together, and it's still a bit of a mystery, Vander. You know, mm. I was, I'm, I'm more aware now of, of um, the different steps in production. I would dearly love to have stood there with David as he actually physically put the thing together, but, uh, but um, you know, I, I couldn't do that. And now, now that you've held the, the, the book in hand and patted it and yes. pulled off the, the lovely dust cover to look at the solid, the, the hardback cover underneath, um, is it what you envisaged? Yes, and more. Um, you know, I was thinking before, you, you often, you know, you plan things. You go into town, you might have three messages you need to do. Typically, you might end up doing two. <laughs> and you go home thinking, oh, well, that, that's okay. Or mm, that's not great. I'm delighted. I might change one or two words and some punctuation, and that's it. Um, we only we only made fifty of these books, um, and they're pretty much sold out. But I'm hoping that we'll do a second edition, which will be a little bit different. So same stories, but some extra material with that. And where was I going with that? Yeah. So I would like to put a timeline in there, for example, mm. so people can actually relate the, the stories dates. to their own experiences and with events taking place across the world. Um, so yeah, maybe a few more illustrations and perhaps a different jacket. And, and a little foreword, a foreword yes, from exactly, you. Yes, exactly, a preface, the... yes, that's right. Mm. Yes, that's the other thing. So basically that's that's the plan. But no, I, I, I look at it and I, I'm just so delighted. I'm very happy. It feels like a bar of, a king-sized bar of chocolate actually, <laughs> and that, that's okay too. <laughs> so would you, you know, would you, and having gone down this path yourself to um, self-publishing and in a nice, you know, a nice small print run, a, a beautiful object for you, would you encourage other people to do that oh, as well. Oh yes, um, but it's you know it's it, it's expensive. Um, so you know I, I I you know I had to um, you know draw on on all my reserves there, and and I'm I'm pleased I did. But I guess that's a leap of faith, really. So you've you've got to be confident um, that you're doing the right thing. Well, it's a beautiful reproduction there, Ethel, and thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Alert Level 4, and we wish you all the very best. Thank you, Fanda. Well, that's the Right On show for this month. Thanks for listening in, and thank you to my guests today, Iona Winter talking about her collection Gaps in the Light, and Ethel Parks and Alert Level 4. Join us again next month where we get to hear from more wonderful Otago and Southland writers. Until then, enjoy lots of great reading. The university bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe-atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Ooh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lovers Corner, the university bookshop is evil. You have been warned. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.